Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Episode 76 of the podcast is with the head of sports science at Motherwell, Andy Bowles. Andy came on to talk about integrating sports science into the football department, creating an objective scoring system, athletic development, and the importance of consistency in your practice. Now, this podcast is also available on YouTube. So Andy actually referenced a few charts um, that he uses within his practice. And the video to this podcast actually includes those as well. So if you want to go and check them out, he does talk about it on the podcast. um, But if you want to see exactly what he's talking about, head over to our YouTube page, just search Football Fitness Federation and episode 76 which is this episode will be uploaded with the video to the podcast but more importantly the graphics that he refers to as well so you can go and check those out and then just a reminder as well we're at the moment we're running a giveaway on our developing football speed ebook so the next 10 people we've gave one away already so the next nine people that leave us an itunes review um, a five-star review of a short comment will receive a free copy of our Developing Football Speed ebook. So just head over to iTunes. If you've not done so already, click the five stars, leave us a short review, and then just screenshot the review and just email it to mail at footballfitfed.com. We'll then get your email and we'll send you a free copy of our Developing Football Speed ebook, which includes all of our methodologies around developing speed for football, um, but it also has an eight-week training program in there as well, an eight-week speed program. So if you could do that for us, that'd be great. And then obviously we'll get the ebook over to you as soon as you've done it and sent the email across. Um, but I just want to say a big thanks to Andy for coming on. It was great to chat with him. Um, I think there's loads of great takeaways in this one. So here's the episode with Andy. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 76. I am joined today by Andy Bowles, the head of sports science at Motherwell. Andy, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ben. Yourself? I'm good. Thank you, mate. Very strange times at the moment with the uh, isolation, the lockdown, everything going on. So um, what's the, I mean, we're we were going to go into your current situation in a little bit after going into your background, but let's start on that. What's the current situation up there? Uh, well, obviously, the same as around the country, the leagues, the games have been postponed. At the moment, we don't know whether the season's going to get carried on or um, finished. It's, it's all a bit limbo at the moment, so we're just doing what we can to try and give the players some ideas to keep themselves topped up. And in terms of um, home programmes and that, what have been some challenges that you've faced with the players? Is there anything that's cropped up, any compliance issues or anything like that of the lads just cracked on with it yeah no we're really lucky here to be fair we've not had any problems at all um what we've done with our program this year and over the past few kind of pre-seasons really is made like an app on their phone so it's like a we use google sites to write all the programs and make little drills and stuff like that and then we send it out the link they can add it to their home screen so it becomes an app um so players quite like it it's quite kind of user-friendly, they don't lose it. That's That was my, we used to send programs out maybe a PDF or paper, but the players will lose it right away. So um, they quite like it. So we've put some different conditioning sessions. We've got um, some endurance sessions, some power sessions, some high-intensity sessions. And we've, for each one of those, we've got like a, a road option so they can go out and run the road, um, pitch-based stuff, treadmill-based stuff and track-based stuff. So they've always, everybody will have different things available to them where they are just now. So they've always got different options of doing stuff. Yeah, I think it's quite a fascinating time for coaches, isn't it? Because we've, we've never been in this position before and hopefully we're never in it again. But it, it really, you have to become quite creative with it, don't you? And innovative with the way you get your players to stay on track, essentially. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, one of the things we've done is we've put different challenges in there. So um, we've put on like a 5K challenge, just how quick can you run a 5K and kept kind of group chat alive with people, um, more kind of with the younger groups, so, you know, which the best 5K time using Strava or Map My Run and just take a screenshot and put it in. Um, we done similar ideas like 30K, which is the best time and that sort of stuff. Sorry, 30 minutes. 
run as far as you can. All these wee ideas, it just keeps a little kind of bit of buy-in for the players. But um, I suppose technically at the moment, the, the, some of the staff and players have been on furlough, so you can't exactly say you've got to do X, Y and Z because that could really be seen as they're working. So what we're really doing is just putting out some ideas there and saying, here's some things you might want to try at home while you're off, um, rather than giving an, an exact schedule because I suppose technically that's them working, but so we don't want to do that. Yeah, definitely. And we have skipped your, your background there, mate. So do you want to take us back? I've, I've mentioned your current role at Motherwell, um, Head of Sports Science, but what's your journey been so far? Where did you start and, and what takes you up to that current role? Okay, so, um, yeah, always just loved sport, particularly football. Um, so knew I just wanted to try and work in that industry. Um, didn't particularly know exactly what I wanted to do or, like, in terms of in there. So spoke to a few people when I was at school and a few people um, at uni decided sports science was going to give that a route. Um, so went to Glasgow Uni 2003, graduated uh, 2007, physiology and sports science and went straight on to do a master's degree in Edinburgh in strength and conditioning. Pretty much I couldn't get a job right away. There was no job. So I thought it was a good time to go and do um, a degree. Um, at the part, at that time I was working part-time. I'd, I'd managed to get a wee bit of a, a gig at Hamilton Ackies kind of local team multiple rivals so started across the river um, when I was at uni I did a lot of volunteering like as much volunteering as I could to go out and do testing and training with, with different kind of groups to get as much experience as possible did pretty much a year at Hamilton Aki's full time no, a year solid with the academy um, not getting paid and managed to kind of convince them that we might be able to grow it a little bit if we started doing wee circuits and wee speed sessions and that sort of stuff so they, I managed to get a wee bit of a part-time role there um, 2010 I got a job with Institute of Sport that was part-time as well um, so between the kind of two of them I was almost kind of full-time um, working with different sports um, around about the kind of daily Commonwealth Games Institute of Sport um, after that I went full-time at Hamilton 2011 um, just as a head of sports science, working with the first team and the, the kind of reserves academy, and did that for about a year and a half, and then got managed to get the job at Middlesbrough. So that was 2012. Moved down there, um, as lead S and C coach. Three brilliant years down there. Really enjoyed it. Great group of staff. Learned so much. Brilliant players. Just a great club. Um, I know you know you've you've had ads on Adam Kerr from the, the podcast before. He's a, a great guy, and, and you had the meeting with Johnny Madden as well. So still keeping great contact with them. Um, but 2000, about kind of three years in, 2015, I had the opportunity to move home. Um, my missus and myself were kind of just looking for an opportunity to move home. So the job at Motherwell came up and um, decided to move back home. It's kind of a local club, so it's perfect for me and I've been here ever since. Awesome. So who was the, um, who was the gaffer up at Borough when you were there then? Uh, it was Tony Mowbray was there to start with, and um, then it was Aitor Karanka. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just trying to think of the time period. Awesome. And then, yeah, obviously, crossing over with Ads and uh, Johnny. Yeah. Ads has been yeah. on the podcast and done a, a meeting as well, and Johnny's done the meeting too. Um, in ter- so, in terms of the podcast today, we're going to dive into integrating sports science into the football department and get your thoughts on that. So, I know you've got loads of different views on this and different ways that we can talk about it. So what I wanted to start with was um, when we're talking about integrating into the football department, let's let's start with in terms of like pitch work, in terms of stuff that we can, that we're doing generally outside and then we'll develop it into like strength and gym stuff as well. So do you want to just give your overall thoughts on it to start with and then we'll dive in a little bit more specifically? Yeah, so um I'm really lucky, first of all, just now um, that I'm kind of part of the coaching staff, not just as a sports scientist, but I've worked in different situations at different clubs, but I'm quite close with all the coaching staff we've got at the moment. The managers get a really good group, a close group in terms of, yeah, everybody's got an opinion and you're able to, to go and speak to that. So it's not just a case of the manager saying, I'm going to do this today just you go and take the warm-up. You know, we have a kind of roundtable meeting every morning. We discuss what we're going to do. Um, so I'm involved in that. Obviously, it's the manager's idea is what he's wanting to do, but it's 
taking a bit of time to build up a relationship with the manager and um, in terms of actually got a seat at the table you can influence stuff so it's just trying to chip away at all the little things um, for example the, the possession drills that we do the conditioning work we do the games um, trying to make sure we follow roughly a kind of periodised plan so we're trying to hit certain things on certain days and the coaching staff have been brilliant to be fair um, in terms of bringing all these ideas in and, and, and really challenging themselves to think about different drills we're doing on different days and make sure we're hitting certain physical parameters so that we're trying to do as much stuff, you know, conditioning within the training as we can. And I know with that, in terms of periodization, do you want to just give a, a general sort of breakdown of the style of play, the, the general sort of game model that you guys use and how that sort of relates into your practice and what you implement with the players as well? Yeah, yeah okay, so we kind of introduced that kind of um, an adapted tactical periodization model about kind of, I'd say maybe two and a half years ago. Um, we'd had a, a change in manager. We'd had quite a few injuries the year before. So I kind of floated this idea that when I was at Middlesbrough, I was exposed to it from Aitor Karanka, just in terms of having like a strength day, an endurance day, different like physical targets to hit on different days. So we've kind of adapted that as we're going on. So at the moment, we are on a, obviously playing a Saturday just as a rough kind of week to explain roughly how we work it. Off a of Sunday, Monday will be like a recovery session for the boys that played and a top-up session, kind of general session for the boys that didn't. Um, Tuesday will be our strength-type day, so we're like um, kind of 2v2s, lots of accelerations, lots of decelerations. Wednesdays are bigger areas, like we usually do 11 v 11 on a Wednesday. Thursday, a day off. And um, Friday, we just do kind of like tactical stuff and a few small series games. So that's generally how we can kind of periodise our week. Um, the, sorry, what else did you ask again? <laughs> no, just a general sort of um, breakdown of your, your style of play. Yeah, yeah. so the, the last kind of year or so, we've, we've kind of brought in like a really high-intensity pressing uh, style of play. So that's been a challenge to condition the players for that. Um, and I think probably the most successful part of our training we've altered to do that is to try and make a lot of the conditioning work as game related as possible so we do we do every week we do probably maybe one or two runs without the balls probably as much a mental conditioning element as it is a physical one but the coaching staff have got to take a lot of credit I think for you know not just doing like a 2v2 for talking sake but trying to replicate a 2v2 for like our central midfield players in terms of the positions that we are finding ourselves in and replicating drills to replicate what's actually happening in a match day, um, like a high-intensity running for our full-backs and our wingers, uh, trying to do them within pattern-type exercises so that there's a, an, a huge element of decision-making in the conditioning work as well. And I think that's probably something that we don't think about a lot as, as practitioners because you don't really measure it. You can't measure it in GPS or that sort of stuff but you can definitely see a, a difference between if you just do playing high intensity running or if you do it with the ball where they've got to make a decision definitely, I definitely see a, a lot more transfer which makes I know it sounds really obvious but um, we've been in situations where we don't necessarily do that and I think it definitely helps to do it and that that ties in with like the integration doesn't it between sports science and the and the coaching side as well because coaches will have different views on what that player should look like in certain positions and it obviously then if you can integrate with with someone like yourself and apply the sports science, the, the principles of sports science, then that's when you can really tweak the training and get the most out of it and make it applicable to your your style of play, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. But one of the things I think the coaching staff and the managers, the manager from here, they're really big on using data where we can. So you know we've got kind of like norms for what we'd expect certain positions to happen for our. Like not, it's not exactly you know we don't see a fullback has to do X this every single week, but we've got a rough idea. Um, and the manager's got a thing where he will say to the players that are not playing, like, don't come and chat my door if you if you get an opportunity and you're not covering X amount of distance, you're not doing the making the sort of runs that we want you to make, um, tactically making the decisions we make. So it's as integrated into the game model as like you know all your, your physical attributes as it is the tactical stuff. 
um, which which is a help for me as a practitioner because whenever you try to implement any of these sort of, uh, you know, whether it's drills or whether it's the players thinking about the GPS data, it carries a lot of weight because the manager's referring to it on a regular basis. So that certainly helps. And then if we talk in terms of gym strength work as well, what's the general sort of approach in integrating, like if we're basing it on integrating sports science into football, how, how are you talking to coaches about integrating that side? Okay, so yeah, in terms of gym work, so we, with our first team boys, we do gym twice a week. We do one whole body strength session and one possibly upper body, depending on what the load's been, it might be another whole body. Um, and so, so in terms of integrating it, what we do is take a lot of the testing data from pitch-based test, um, fitness tests, from GPS data from games, etc., and we'll integrate that into the programme. So we've got all the testing data inside of the programme. We can constantly refer to why you're doing a certain exercise. And again, I know it sounds really, really simple, but it's something that I probably didn't do for a, maybe a year or so and started to see a little bit of a drop-off and um, players really pushing themselves or sticking to certain exercises. Um, so, that, for example, we if we're doing... If a player's got like a... We've got like a flywheel K-box um, and we put it in certain, some players' programmes as a knee-dominant exercise, like a squat or a rear foot elevated split squat. Um, we did a little kind of in-house research project a couple of years ago, that versus trap bar deadlift, and we found an improvement of five metres speed on the flywheel compared to the trap bar. So just be things like that. We might have somebody's uh, data saying, well, you're five metres times this, We've put this in your programme because we've found that when we do, you know, when we looked at this a couple of years ago, this is the best way of improving it. We simple things like that have a like massive effect on players. Players don't really care what exercise they're doing. In my experience, they just want to get better on the pitch. So everything we're doing, we're trying to relate to this will make you a better player because of X or because of Y, etc. I think that's a great point because I think a lot of the the top programs that you see um, done really well are just the basics done well and also presented well, aren't they? And we were down recently at Colchester, um, down with those lads down there, Kamal and, and Perry, and they showed some video of the set the gym sessions they were doing. And obviously, it's all exercises that other clubs do in the gym. Like we're all doing similar stuff. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, but. The way that the, the intent that the players were um, executing the exercises, but also the way that the coaches were talking about it and setting challenges like you're talking about there and teaching players the, the sort of methodologies behind those exercises, that's the important bit, isn't it? That's, the, that's where, like you say, players don't care what exercises they do. They just want to get better. So it's your job then to implement those and implement those well and give the reasons and the rationales behind it. Yeah, yeah. I think the key word you said there, I suppose that's what I'm trying to get across, is the intent. Players do the programmes like they mean it. You know, they train properly. They don't just go through the motions, which is, is really common. Um, and I said to you before, we had a quick chat, off here, it's, sometimes it's not the player's fault. I mean, we just assume that the players, sometimes because we do this as practitioners all the time, you know, we... We know that doing X in the gym will make them stronger or doing this. And, and in the back of your head, you know it's going to make them a better practitioner, but the players haven't had that same journey. So they might not have the same buy-in unless we've selling it to them on a regular basis. And, and when you do that, you get that intent, you get that buy-in, you know, you really get, I think you get more out of your programmes. And in terms of like, educating players like what's the sort of detail that you go into because obviously we don't need to take them through a masters or anything like that i don't need to be at that level but yeah. and some players might like i know um i spoke with yulma wenny on the podcast and when he was playing he was very interested in that side and he's ended up going into sports science so there are obviously players out there that are very interested but if we take the majority they just want to know what to do and what um and how it's going to improve them don't they so how what would you go? How would you go about educating players and, and providing that information? I think that becomes like experience. You need to know your players really well. 
um, the differences between them, and there's huge differences between different types of players. Um, I know we've got a player just now who's probably going to go into kind of PT and CrossFit when he retires, possibly. I've had another player before at Middlesbrough who's, um, who's now doing like S&C. And you can tell these guys are real interest just because they were asking questions. They want in no detail. Um, we've also got other guys who literally could not care. They just want to know, is, how is this going to make them faster? Is it going to make them faster? They might not even care how. Is this going to make me faster? Is this going to make me more robust? So it might just be a little sentence. It might just be you know a little word while they're doing an exercise or with somebody else it might be taking a bit more time to explain the detail. you just got to know your players and know who you, who's going to want more detail, who's not going to want more detail um, and just, just constantly reinforcing that. I think one of the things or one of the traps I've fallen into before as well is like thinking once you've told somebody once that, that should be fine but it, this is just a constant constant battle it's like a chip my weight every single day every time you're doing something then it can be something like okay when they're doing something in the gym they might be doing a certain core exercise or upper body exercise for stability and then you see something happening in training that's been a positive and it's maybe when they drill maybe they've done something well in training held a player off or, or whatever and you can see how it's related to the drill you've done when there's a wee break in between training it can just be saying to the player can you see how that relates to what we're doing in the gym? That just that, that can marries up some of the two situations, and, and with some players that can just be the wee trigger that says, right, okay, no, I, I can see that. That okay, the next time they do it, it's in their head, and that's just constant chip away. That's chip away. That's not once you've done, said it, and that's it. That's it away. I suppose that comes a lot bit into learning styles as well, doesn't it? Because if you, if you're showing someone, like a lot of people are visual learners, like if they see that, they can relate to it. We can talk about it until we're blue in the face, can't we? But if they can see something, or, or even if it's another player, like they've been working on X and that's improved Y, then that gives you that rationale behind what you're saying, doesn't it? And it might sink in a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other thing as well that, that, that's important, I think, is to speak to the players and ask them what they want to do. We try to give the players quite a lot of ownership in terms of we'll write them a programme. We've got a kind of set style that's kind of loosely based on some of the stuff that Mike Boyle's done before um, in terms of knee dominant, hip dominant, frontal playing, push pulls, etc. Just slightly based on that. and um, So we've got certain exercises that we do with certain players and every time we're always asking, how do you feel when you do that exercise? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Because there's loads of other ways we can do this like a knee dominant exercise there's loads of ways we can do a, a horizontal push we've got to find what you like if the players say no I'm not sure I don't like it because of this we've kind of got to change it because it's again it's, it's about the player isn't it it's about trying to find what, what fits the player and, um, yeah I think giving them a little bit of ownership in the programme definitely gets a little bit more buy-in too so I just want to interrupt the episode just to give a few updates on our online community. So episode 74, the podcast with Tom Williams is now uploaded to YouTube. So you can go and watch that episode as well as listening to it. Um, this episode as well will also be available on YouTube, like I said, at the start of the episode. Um, and it will include the graphics that Andy is talking about and referencing within the episode too. And there's also, he, he talks about a few previous network meeting hosts. So Adam Kerr, um, who at the time was at Scumfort, now at Leeds. His presentation is available on our community, as is Johnny Maddens, who's at Middlesbrough. Um, Andy talks about both of those guys, and they both have presentations up, uploaded to our online community, as well as many others, including the lads up at Celtic. So Jack Naylor, who was on episode 75, um, Oliver Morgan, another previous guest of the podcast, Tom Little, another previous guest, plenty of other coaches on there as well. And then we've also just confirmed some really exciting webinars as well that are going to be pre-recorded webinars that are going to be uploaded very soon onto the community. So if you want to sign up for a free month, just go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, 
Um, register your details there. That will give you one free month on the community so you can see what it's all about. But then after that, it is only £4.99 per month going forward and you'll get access to all future network meeting presentations and all the upcoming webinars as well as all the ones that are already up on there. Um, that we're going to be bringing to the community as well. So go and register, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there today and get yourself a free month. Here is the rest of the podcast with Andy. I think that ties in with, I think I, I spoke to Shane Murphy about this in terms of like flexibility within your programming and and yeah, you're right, giving that player ownership. And we said about this time is actually a testing period for players because they've not got coaches with them every step of the way. So it is testing like the knowledge and what they're going to be doing. And, and you see, we spoke a little bit before we start recording, you see some great stuff of players doing on, I know it's probably not an accurate representation, but on social media. But then on the flip side of things, you you see a few things when you're like, has your coach told you that? Or... Is that just something that you've just seen and you just fancy to go out? Like, is that going to improve you as a player? Um, I think this time is really important. But in terms of what you were talking about there, like knowing your player, if a player doesn't quite feel the exercise or they don't like that exercise, are they gonna are they gonna go put that intent into the exercise? Is the intensity gonna be right? Probably not. So can you be can you as a practitioner, have you got the flexibility in the uh, coaching toolbox to adapt and change it? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's where some kind of S&C coaches that I've worked with before have, have maybe struggled in terms of the player has or the, the athlete whoever they're working with, whatever sport, has to fit into their programme and it's it's got to be the other way around. I know that Shane spoke about that in your podcast, it was excellent. Um, it's got to be the other way around. You've got to fit it around the player. People are so different in terms of their, their body makeup, their mobility, their strengths, their weaknesses. So we've got to find, a, find ways to adapt that to the player. I know it's quite a weird period at the moment because we don't know when the season's going to kick back in or when next season's starting. But in terms of looking forward um, to next season, working with the players and, and and making this program even more effective from all the stuff that you spoke about already, what are your general ideas on how to take it forward? Okay, so one of the things um, that we've done, just to give a wee bit of background of how we've come to this idea. Um, one of the things that's helped us integrate as well is how we report our GPS, I think, from our training data. So we have been kind of working along a kind of multimodal approach that I've seen, um, I think, Jack Sharkey had presented on recently as well. Um, to be honest, I hadn't seen that. We've been doing it for about two or three years, just stumbled across his presentation using slightly different metrics. It was Johnny Madden and Adam Kerr had come up with the idea before. So basically what we do is we take six metrics, total distance, High intensity distance, meters per minute, um, axial D cells, top speed, and number of sprints. That's seven, I think, seven metrics. Um, and we've got like a data from a game. So the average of those is all makes up 100%. Um, and I, I can send you over a graphic. Hopefully, if, if people are watching this on YouTube, you can see a couple of graphics in terms of how we come about that. But we try to come up with one number out of all those metrics. So we call it a session score. So if we do exactly 50% of everything, um, total distance, high intensity distance, sprint distance, etc., it will come out as 50%. If we do 60, but then again, those metrics can be, can, there can be different ways we come up by 60% or a 50%. Um, then we give the coaches and the players one number, but alongside it, there's all the data next to it as well. So they can see how it's a 60%. We can be a 60% on a Tuesday because we do 5K, um, but we do 70% or 80% of accelerations and decelerations we do in a game. Whereas on a Wednesday, we can be 60% because we cover higher distance metrics, but less accelerations and decelerations. So the coaches, they get one number, it's simple, but they can also then, it's not like player mode where you've got like a number and you're like, how did we come up with that number? We've not got a clue. It's just a total arbitrary number that doesn't really mean anything. As much as if you kind of understand it, it might be helpful, but it's coaches we're trying to influence here and players, it's not other sports scientists. So they can look at this number and they can go, okay, that, that was what we expected. It came from accelerations being high, decelerations being high. And that's been really successful at our club in terms of buy-in from the players and the coaching staff. They actually look at the data and go, 
okay, I, I can get my head around that, rather than when I first started bringing in GPS and we were giving it to the coaches with like numbers. So you give a report to the coach and he'd be like, is that good? <laughs> but like, if you don't know it's good or it's bad, then it's pointless. The coach needs to kind of understand what's, you know, kind of what the rationale is. Okay, did we want sixty percent? Yeah, we got it. Did we get it because we wanted all the accelerations or not? And our coaches have been brilliant at bringing on, you know, looking at that and we take that on board. And the players too. The players all want to know the data. So we we thought about getting back to strength work, but how else can we apply this to other areas of of the program? One of the things we're looking at doing for next season was actually one of the coaches' idea ideas was can we take that session score and make almost like a, a motherwell game model score in terms of okay, so the coaches want to do a lot of high pressing. So can we get some physical testing data that might replicate that? So for example, we're looking at putting some sort of maybe like 45 second anaerobic capacity test in. Some sort of aerobic test that's easily re- reproducible, even just something like a fifteen hundred meter time, um, like a some sort of speed strength test. We might do like a trap bar deadlift and, and like do it for like at their body weight. So I'm I weigh seventy k. What's this? I'm seventy k in the bar. How fast can I move that? And put just put that in because it's it's quite simple. It, everybody can kind of do it. It's not like a max squat test, but I don't want some of my players doing that. Um, and then maybe some sort of other things, maybe like a five-metre sprint time and even maybe some sort of thing where the coach can rate them out of 10 about how well they know the, the tactical understanding of the position. And then putting that in the programmes, testing all the players and coming up with some sort of number like that so you can see, okay, I'm a 70%, but it's because I am very like quick, explosive, powerful. The things that are letting me down are my aerobic stuff. So it kind of gives them a little bit, okay, here is here's where I'm generally, but this is what's letting me down. Can I, can I then go and focus on on those other things? And, and really, obviously we're giving them extra work because we kind of know what they're strong, strong and weak at, but it's giving that ownership to the players so that they can, you know, do the things they're going to do with intent. Um, because it's been really, that, that kind of recession core thing, the full idea behind it, so it's not the most scientifically robust system. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely hold my hands up to that, but it's, it's influencing things so much more than, you know, making sure the p-value is perfect. You know what I mean? These are like humans we're dealing with here. So um, having some sort of thing that they can really buy into, it's, it's tangible, they can see it, they can understand why it's good and why it's bad. And they can see how that would relate to things on the pitch. Then that's having so much more effect. So it was a coach's idea in terms of, uh, actually an assistant manager's idea in terms of how can we, can we take that forward into the strength programme. So it's, that's kind of what we're looking to do for next season. I'm interested to hear from anybody if anybody else has done that sort of thing, um, you know, you know, to see if anybody else has come up with it and what kind of things they, they, they did. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely encourage people to reach out and um, get in touch if anyone's doing anything similar. I know um, I was just thinking when you were saying it about Darren Burgess's episode on the podcast, not sure if you heard it, but he talked about his Burjo rating. Yeah. Um, I know that's probably not including quite as much science, but that's essentially just experience, isn't yeah. it? That's experience yeah. of it. And that's, that's going session by session. But this sounds really intriguing in terms of, I know how receptive a lot of players will be to that sort of thing. And it's just, I suppose it's just going to be tweaking it, isn't it, in terms of trying to find that right balance with it. With the, um, and I don't like necessarily using the word testing, but with the um, tests that the, the players go through, what would they do in terms of frequency on that? Would that be something that would be carried out regularly or how, what's the idea behind that? Well, that's, a, that, that's kind of one of the reasons we wanted to come up with tests that can be replicated. I mean, I'm thinking we may do this maybe every month, every six weeks. So I don't want to be including something like a 30-15 or, or a yo-yo test because it kind of scuppers training. You know, you do a test like that and it's, it's really it's really difficult to then go and put a proper training session on. So it's kind of things we might have to, they say they dedicate a full day to training. Say, for example, on a Tuesday, we might do five metre sprint with everybody, just round about the normal training. You know, it might just be instead of coming to me to do a little speed or agility drill, we come in and just run through everybody through a five metre sprint test. And then the next day we might do something like we know we sometimes do like a four minute run on a Wednesday. So like maybe just a thousand metre run uh, in between games or in between possessions or whatever. Not always, but you know, we do things like that. So we might even just go with a thousand metre run time. 
something over four minute run, cover as much distance as you can, and we'll take the GPS data for how much distance you can you can run for four minutes. But so it's something that we could then just go and do a little bit of training before, do the test, and then go back into normal training. So again, it's not going to be you know probably people out there saying no, that's that's you can't do that. You've got to make sure all the conditions are, are correct. You've got to make sure it's always eighteen degrees Celsius outside, and there's the grass is the same length. All that it's, it's it's not really designed to be that sort of thing. It's designed to be something that's kind of almost real, real life, um, and it can just be integrated into training. We don't have to change too many things around about it um, to try and collect data because otherwise, I don't know. My experience sometimes you do testing sessions is you go and do a sprint test and all the players don't match sprint because some of them are scared of maybe pulling a hammy or they just think it's not important. So I've had guys before who definitely are in the top three, like fastest, because you can just see they're the fastest, but they're in the bottom five when you do testing. They just don't, they're not interested when you get to first team level. Some players are just like that. It doesn't make a difference to them. Maybe they're not motivated. I don't know. So it's got to find a way of it not feeling like a testing session to be as real as possible. I think that's a great point. It's something I spoke about before and I was talking more about academy players, but when you do like a testing session, it's a very sort it's a different sort of atmosphere, isn't it? Like it's yeah, very, yeah. Um, I don't know, like clinical, I suppose you'd, you'd yeah. maybe say that it's all has to be correct, uh, carried out correctly and you do just want it to be, and then we're talking about integration. You want it to be integrated into the, daily practice essentially don't we and, and really you don't you, you want to produce that data to the players at the end and say like this is what we need to improve and these are the reasons and these are your scores and all the rest of it but in the actual session you don't really want it to be noticed do you like if you could do a five meter sprint test without the players noticing they're going all out loads of intent but they're seeing it as just part of the session and that's ideal then isn't it yeah exactly and really we are interested about how quickly they can run five meters on a football pitch not really in a testing session that's not really what we're interested in um, I know again it's not as scientifically robust as saying okay they had two days rest before it but I think that's just one of the ways of this approach we're just going to have to accept that there's limitations and I, we're always going to have to accept that there's certain limitations on data that, that's actually one of the reasons we need to put in a coach's score on how well they tactically understand the situation maybe even using the performance analyst in terms of, okay, let's get 10 situations where they're in the right position. How many times within the right position to go and press or whatever they need to do? Because there is guys in here who are definitely not the best pressers at our club that if we don't include some sort of cognitive kind of understanding mod, they'll be like the best and that's going to create more problems because they're going to be, <laughs> the gaffer's going to be, you know, if he's not at these people that are terrible at their job, but they're going to turn around and say, well, Andy's data says I was really good, so... <laughs> So I've mean, so got to kind of protect myself for that, kind of looking forward a wee bit. Um, got to, there's, there's different elements we've got to include, I think, to make it like a, a valid score almost. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's trying to get what you want out of it, isn't it? Which is essentially improved performance on the pitch yeah. and yeah. getting players to work on the things that they need to work on off the pitch as well. So yeah. regardless of how you get to that point, really, as long as that is the, the end game, that's the main thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's that's what we're all here to do. So, and I think between this and the the session score and all that sort of stuff with GPS, it's all about buying. It's all about getting people really to engage with the data and to try and avoid that question of um, is that good? Is this bad? Is that good? They they, they understand it. And I, I guess with these sort of things, you do maybe lose a little bit of the scientific rigor. But it's not a big game of sports science that we're playing against like Dundee United or whoever we're playing or Hibs or Hearts or it's not a game of sports science we're playing against them on Saturday it's a game of football so you've just got to realise that that's like a little section and that it doesn't have to be exactly if it, if you can be scientifically rigorous but only have like 5% effect or if you can you know look at the bigger picture and have effect on 100% or 90% of the variables then I think that'll do a more important job as a coach it's probably a coach speaking more than a scientist no, I agree. I think, and I think we spoke time and time again about there being really good um, scientists out there that can't, that don't have the sort of nous about them to put it over to players in the correct way. Um, and you've got to try and find that balance. At the same time, we don't just want an entertainer that can yeah. um, be mates with players and all the rest of it and have no scientific like background. But 
there is a real balancing act there, isn't there? You, you need to find that balance. And I think you're, you're dead right with what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the balance. That's the key. I mean, if you also, if you, coaches are really good. Like, good coaches, I think, are really good at, like, looking at what's the perfect scenario and what it down to what's, like, what's actually practical. So... You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be sat in all the meetings with the coaches and the managers in the morning, so I kind of get a good understanding of what they're wanting, what they're looking for. But at the end of the day, the the, the last thing they always, before they decide on what drill we're doing, the last thing they always decide, okay, what coaching points we're going to put across, okay, coach one, two, three, four, five, that's too much. They're not going to get five coaching points, so we need to try and pick two of the three of the best and stick with them. Okay, it's not perfect, but that's what's going to make it stick. And that's not... You know, I think that's probably more of the equivalent of what I'm doing here, whereas other people might say, no, 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 it needs to be perfect. In that case, you might actually end up with less, less of an effect. And this whole model is really fascinating for younger players coming through as well. So 18s and like 23s or however the, the club set up in yeah. terms of those younger players. So what's I know you've got some really interesting thoughts about um, the approach to take with those players and how they're going to transition up into first team. Yeah, um, and also Andy, sorry, just to cut in, your record as well as a club for bringing players through from there as well. So do you want to touch on that first? Yeah, we've been quite um, lucky, I suppose. The past few years with a few really good players breakthrough um, and taking place in the first team just now and sold players on. You can, uh, you know, get guys playing um, in the championship in England guys that I think will probably go into play in the Premier League in England um, guys playing in America and kind of all over really so um, we when I first came into the club they, did, they hadn't really had a, a full real kind of sports science set up before um, that was in 2015 so we kind of gradually started to implement a few things first being diet um, especially up here in Scotland most people's diet is not kind of what what you would expect of an athlete <laughs> um, but again I, I always try and sympathise with players because they don't know, really know what the level is until they've been exposed to it so we had guys who had played um, like when I first came back guys that played again at a high level international level and stuff like that and the guys were always not a problem younger players coming through they think that they're mates all go to McDonald's three times a week so if they go once a week I'm alright do you know what I mean I'm, but I'm eating better than them so it must be alright but you can uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of that kind of education of the level you think is here it's actually if you want to go and play at a high level the level you don't really know what it is it's a lot of education pushing them consistently so um, by doing things like making sure they get their diet constantly right training hard trying to train for strength train their strength and make sure people know that that's like a two or three year project. You know, consistently training strength two or three times a week. Um, and within the training uh, sessions that the coaches are taking, make players consistently train harder. Um, I was listening to one of the podcasts, I think it was Paul Bauer. Um, and uh, it was at Huddersfield, yeah, and he was saying that He'd, a lot of the coaches basically saying you can work a lot harder than the, what a lot of the players think you can and I completely agree with that and it's just like gradually taking players there and the education that you can you know this is what the level can be if you really really push yourself um, but the key really with that is, is consistency and constantly pushing players within the gym you know is that can you lift more can you can you lift that harder more explosively can you, what are you having for dinner tonight? Constantly asking players, can you cook? What what can you cook? You know, one of the things we do with, with our reserve players once a year is we in the WhatsApp group chat is we get them to put a photograph of their dinner on every night for a week. And uh, honestly, you should see some of the things we, we see. But it's it's brilliant because like the players kind of they get a bit of banter between each other. But then sometimes with some players, if I'm telling them something, they'll go, right, okay, I, um, I'll listen to Andy, he's, he's done that. It might take me to go to one of the coaches to say, look, this guy's motivated more by, miles more by the football side of things than he is by the physical side of things, so can you drop it in, try and not make it obvious? Some players don't like players, uh, sorry, coaches or sports scientists and they only listen to other players. So, a thing like that, if all the other players are slagging them, they might think, do you know what, I probably should, probably should do something about this. 
and, and one of those dinners they've got to cook themselves. So and you can usually tell, you know, with a couple of guys screenshot things for like Jamie Oliver's website and stuff like that, and you can just tell. Um but it's it's really good, good, good bit of engagement. It creates a bit of dialogue for the players, um and it gets them thinking about their diets and like out of things like we'll give them targets, like weight gaining targets, and they're quite quite difficult to achieve but it's just constantly on at the players every single day because I think probably here in Scotland because we control what they do training wise the biggest factor that they can influence separately is probably their diet um, but we've just consistently been at them again it's not one of those things where before when I was starting out I would be like I'd do a presentation at the start of the season you've got to eat 30 grams of protein every meal you've got to do this you've got to do that bang and bang right that's it you know what I'll speak to you again next year and then, but it's the more you, the more experience I've got, the more I realise it is just every single day chip my weight to players, you know, throwing in wee things, you know, what are you having for dinner tonight, um, or I'm going to hand those, whatever, fine, whatever. But you know, you can make your own. Like here's how to do it. Just give them a quick. We've actually got the, the cover fit app for the boys. The Tom Little, which is brilliant, it's excellent. Um, so sometimes we'll, you know, we'll just say, well, you can you can make this, you can make that. And yeah, it's just, but again, it's constantly just chipping away at the players. And I think since then, since we've been really intense with it, um, we've not had a player in the past three years who's not broken through into the first team because they've not been physical enough, which it was actually the manager that he hadn't really realised. It's not one of those things you probably think about, but it was the manager that said it um, a few weeks ago before we broke up. It's such a success, like how, how intense the programme's been for the kids that we haven't had a player okay we've obviously players that haven't made the grade but it's not because somebody's not been fit enough they've not been strong enough maybe quick's quick enough is a slightly different thing because there's not really much you can do for a player who's, who's really slow but not as many players that have been like oh he was a really good player but he was too fat you know we've not had any of that in the past three years as before we have had so hopefully um, you know we keep it going um, and get an next batch coming through hopefully I mean, that's quite a refreshing stat, I suppose, because I think a few years ago it'd be very different. Across, not Obviously not at your club, but just across the board in general about players being released. I think the physical side was definitely something that was lagging behind, wasn't it? And and that's quite a refreshing thing to hear that these, these players, there are obviously, sadly, still players that aren't going to make the grade, but for different reasons. Yeah, I think as well before it was always like a, an easy option for some coaches. They say, like, they don't want to blame it on, oh, we never got you there as a player, or you're not a good enough player, so you're not quick enough, or you're not big enough, or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe the coaches, maybe it's not the case that the programme's been good, maybe it's just the case of the coaches have been a bit more honest. But, um, no, I think it definitely, it definitely has had an effect. We've also, like, I think through being relentless by pushing the players, we managed to change the culture. Like when I first came to the club, again, Scotland's probably a few years behind the Gilded Clubs down south in terms of because they've not really traditionally had as much sports science support. But, like, when I first came to the club, it would be, like, seen as busy. That's the word they used, busy, to go and do extra stuff up the gym. Maybe the one or two boys who work up and, and do, like, for the reserve group, work up and do a bit extra when they didn't have a session on and the rest of the boys just to, to try and slaughter them. So it's now managed to kind of flip that over to the other side, whereas if somebody can't do 10 pull-ups the rest of the boys are on at them. And it's it's that, we've managed to completely flip the culture a little bit and that obviously permeates everything, that permeates the diet, the lifestyle, what they're doing away from the club, um, what they're doing when they're in the club, are they training with intent, are they, are they doing things properly? So, um, yeah, it's been a bit, again, it's been a long road, it's not just been a case of, right, okay, we're turning up the day, we've got a good culture now. It, takes, it just takes time, it takes a lot of time and, and a lot of effort just to kind of chip away at things. So, yeah, no, definitely. I think that's that's. Um, I think we all go in with that that mindset, don't we? That we can do it, like you say, do a presentation on nutrition, and then they're all going to walk away and have the perfect diet, be fueled perfectly yeah. for the weekend. We'll do another one on strength, and then that'll sort that up. And <laughs> it's not the case, is it? You're right. Like it's a case of repetition. Um, it's a case of culture comes from repeating these things on a daily basis, and and habits as well, isn't it? Like putting the habits in place with players and you as well, making sure that those habits are carried out. I think the stuff you've covered with the players, with the, the food and the pictures and all that, I think that's, um, they're things you probably do that you don't really realise the impact they have 
Um, mm. Like when players leave the club, but for whatever reason, that'll probably be things that they'll carry forward with and the things that they've learned from those sorts of practices. Hopefully. Hopefully we like to think that. And it's, again, it's more about how can we influence people to behave the way we want them to behave. Like, and previously, before, I made a thought, right, okay, well, let's do a scientific project, let's do a poster with, um, like, effect sizes and all that sort of stuff, but players just don't, don't care. <laughs> you can maybe include a little bit of that because you might have your one or two guys that, that are interested in it, but it's more about how can you influence people in a positive light. One of, one of the best things I did actually probably about five years ago, I guess, maybe five, no, maybe longer than that, um, as I read How to Win Friends, win, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it's such a, an important book for probably I'd say about 90% of the coaches out there that have all these good ideas in their head but just can't really find a way of getting people to buy into them. And there's so many simple things in there that you might be doing but might be doing inconsistently that is such an important thing to do that as a coach, as, as coaching's not a, I think, a lot of kind of people maybe when they first start out or people in that situation where they struggle to get people to buy into their ideas is they think that sports science, as in a practitioner's job in football, is about technical knowledge. So it's about, well, like GPS, knowing all the research behind GPS. It's about weightlifting. It's about, like, what's all your lifting derivatives, uh, getting your UK accreditation. All these things are important, but it's, coaching's a people business. Coaching is how can you speak to people and how can you get people to buy into your way of thinking? Not in a nasty way or a manipulative way, but how can you actually go and speak to people and actually get them to really believe your ideas? And that's probably one of the things that I've, I think I've got better at maybe over the past kind of six or seven years and it's definitely helped me as much as a practitioner as it has on getting all the basics. I fully agree. And that, that book that you've talked about there is, is one of the top ones for that. And I always think that we've got to learn from people outside of football as well, like people that run businesses and work with like large groups of people these are people that have to influence people and, and when you talk, say influence people it sounds really bad doesn't it but you want to what you're doing you're influencing your players to do to have these good habits and put these things in place if you can learn from some of the leaders in the business world or different sports or what different industries then i think we can take habits from other people and, and apply it to what we do yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Steve Tanstian spoke about that as well, didn't he? On your podcast, it was, it was really good. It's refreshing sometimes when people say that and come up with some of their ideas um, yourself. But one of the other books that I suppose backs up that idea um, that's really, really good read is Range, David Epstein. He's talking about people that aren't just so focused. And that, that's, I've maybe got a little bit of a problem with that before when I was at Middlesbrough so I was like S&C coach so I had about 95% of my time was spent in the gym and you end up becoming just a oh, guy that lives in a cage it's, teaches gym exercises takes a lot of rehab but you end up thinking this is more important than what it is um, and yeah I, th- I kind of realised that um, I actually was got, went for a job at another club and just and kind of missed out on it. And that's the feedback I'd got that I'd become too specialised almost. You end up living in a little silo. And when the, that was the feedback, it, was, it made so much sense when I got it. And then the one of the, again, one of the advantages of coming to Mother was I got to kind of almost de-specialise. And I think that's helped me massively as a practitioner as well. Not living in a little silo and having a bigger picture of all the th- other things that are going on um, and even taking out things like for the business world um, things for other parts of science that are not really related to football but just watching other things helps you build up that big range as a practitioner I think it's another really good book to, to read to try and get that thought process in your head don't get me wrong you've got to like, learn all the basics and the detail at some point but I think you've really got to kind of broaden your horizons to help you as a person really you know and a coach yeah definitely because to be in a role like you're in you couldn't you couldn't just be a specialist in one area because it just wouldn't work <laughs> would it like that when you're trying to cover all the all the areas that you do and I know you joked I asked about your title before and I know you joked about having some different jobs that you might end up doing but you you do get put into different jobs in different situations you have to be able to adapt to those and have the knowledge of those as well don't you yeah yeah I think so I think even looking back if I was to go back to my time at Middlesbrough 
if I was to realise beforehand, I would probably try to do more to be even just try and change that 95% of the gym to like an 85% of the gym and try and spend a bit more time training or try and spend a bit more time doing other things because don't get me wrong I, I learned so much I ended up like when the guy the boys would be training I'd be doing loads of rehab and I learned so much for, for the physios and I've got some excellent practitioners like Brian English um, head of medical and um, the doctor and like Mo's the physio learn so much about rehab and stuff through that but on the flip side you end up just becoming sat in that little box and that's what I you end up influencing that like 5% of things rather than being able to influence like a lot more and don't get me wrong we had a bigger team at Middlesbrough so I wasn't expected to go and probably step, step in people's toes if you were trying to influence everything but it definitely de-skilled me a wee bit as a practitioner in terms of kind of the bigger picture no, definitely. Andy, that's been top, mate. I think there's there's loads of stuff in there for people to take away and apply to what, what they're doing in many different roles. I think from like academy roles, there's loads of takeaways, but right up to first team and obviously tying in with your experience at Borough, but also up in, in Scotland as well. I think that's been top. So where can people reach out? We talked before about um, getting people's feedback on any models that they've got in place. Obviously, they can reach out to us, but it'd be great if they can sort of tag you in and reach out to you as well. So where's the best place to do that? Uh, probably the best place on Twitter. Um, my, what is that handle you call it? <laughs> um, it's at abols85. So that's B-O-L-E-S 85. Um, and on LinkedIn, it's probably, probably the easiest way to get in touch. Um, from then I can just yeah we, definitely open to speaking to people whether, whether it's they want to know more about my stuff or whether you know they've got some wee ideas of things they've done before um, and yeah be really interested to speak to more people out there Awesome mate well really appreciate your time coming on and uh, look forward to hearing people's feedback on the, the sort of models that they've got in place if anyone gets in touch it'd be great to hear from people as well and have a bit of a discussion on it but really appreciate your time mate and uh Hopefully things will be a bit clearer with the, se- uh, the with the rest of the season very soon. Yeah, yeah. Not too sure that's the case, but <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully, mate. Well, we'll stay in touch, Andy, and all the best for the rest of the season. Right. Thanks very much, Ben. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Big thank you to Andy for coming on the podcast. It was great to chat with him. Um, I met Andy up at the Celtic Network meeting, but we didn't really have a proper chance to chat. So it was great to catch up with him on on this one. Um, There's obviously some quality work being done up at Motherwell. And you can go and follow Andy on Twitter if you're not doing so already. He's at A-Bowles, which is B-O-L-E-S, and then the number 85. Um, In terms of takeaways, there was a lot. I narrowed it down to three. Um, where he talks about mental conditioning as well as physical. So he talks about linking conditioning work in with decision-making and that integrated approach. So not just thinking about conditioning players, but also getting players to make decisions within the conditioning, which is a really important um, forward-thinking thought, I think. And, And I think a lot of people are coming around to that idea now that players don't just need to be able to run and run and run, they also need to be making decisions on the pitch as well. So that was great to speak to Andy about. Educating players was another one. Um, Seems quite an obvious one, but I think it is really important. And I've spoke uh, a number of times on the recent podcast regarding this being a testing time, regarding how well we've educated players, because they're they're off by themselves now, or, or majority of the time they're by themselves anyway. So... Um, it is very important and I know Andy touched on thinking it could go in and do one presentation on nutrition, one presentation on strength work and then that being it for the rest of the season. I think we've all had thoughts like that but it's not necessarily the case. It's it's constant information um, which eventually will hopefully um, sink in with players and, and allow them to uh, form positive habits throughout their careers. And then also, just finally, the testing conditions. So when we're performing um, tests, and it's something, again, I've spoke about before, but and, and I said to Andy in the podcast that I've experienced this in terms of when you, when you set up like a testing day, a battery of tests, the atmosphere, atmosphere can be very different. And if we're monitoring throughout the season, we can probably get some, some data that might be a little bit more accurate 
because players will be in a bit more of a relaxed state and a bit more of a, I suppose, a more realistic training mode than setting up some timing gates and getting them to do some sprints. So I know that has to be done. That's something that we do have to monitor for one reason or another. But I think it's important to have a think about the conditions that we are putting out to players when and putting them in that position when we want these um, these tests to be completed. And we spoke about the five-metre acceleration um, in the episode and obviously there's plenty other tests that can be related to that as well so they were my takeaways there was plenty of others that I, I got from it as well loads of different notes um, I'll, I'll I'd love to hear yours so reach out and let us know drop us an email mail at footballfitfed.com or hit us up on twitter at footballfitfed or uh, instagram is the same handle at footballfitfed and tag andy as well i'm sure andy will be he said in the podcast he's um, he wants to hear from people in terms of when he when he's talking about creating this objective system. Um, if anyone uses anything like that or to developed anything like that, please reach out to both myself and Andy because I'm sure he'd love to hear from you and get your points of view um, on what he's trying to create up there for the rest of this season and going into next season as well. So I really enjoyed the chat with Andy. I hope you did too. Like I mentioned at the start of the episode, a couple of things. This will be available on YouTube, so you can go and watch this episode as well um, with the graphics that Andy spoke about. But also, if you haven't done so already, enter our iTunes review um, or enter a iTunes review and you will, if you're within the next nine people that do it, so we've already gave one ebook away, but if you're in the next nine people that do a review, we will send you a free copy of our Developing Football Speed ebook. So head over to iTunes, click the five stars, leave us a short review, um, screenshot it, send it over to mail at footballfitfed.com, and we will send you a free copy of our ebook. I'm looking forward to next week. We've got two big guests next week. Um, so there'll be another two podcasts next week, and we'll speak to you then.